Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind, and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we gather here this morning, we gather as as your kids to hear your word to us. And we, we just want to thank you for the blessing that you've given us in Christ. You blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as you chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before you. Lord, we know that in love you predestined us for adoption as sons to yourself, as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Lord, what can we say? What can we say to such a gift? There are no words, and what can we give you in return? There is no way to return such a favor. And so we're here, Lord, just to simply thank you and to ask you to give us new desires, new appetites, new attitudes, 
a new love for you, new lives that belong solely to you. Father, we ask that you would work this miracle through the preaching of your word and through the taking of the Lord's Supper. Lord, this is something only you can do, and yet you do it every week, and we're so thankful. And we ask, Lord, come, speak to your people, and cause those who don't know you, Lord, to come alive to you. Lord, you're not just about whitewashing tombs. You're about resurrecting people. And so we pray that you do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're in Psalm 139. Beautiful reading of that psalm. It was written 3,000 years ago by David, but it offers something that people still want today. People long and they crave to be known and to be loved and to belong. And that first stanza there is really about being known. Take a look at it again with me, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down and my ways. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't attain it. This is a classic passage, guys, on the omnipresence of God. And, um, and on his omniscience. This particular part is about his omniscience, that God knows everything. God knows everything without discovery or investigation. God knows everything in one simple act. But David here, he isn't focusing on God's exhaustive knowledge of all things, that God is somehow like a, like a perfect Wikipedia. He, he's not focused on that. He's focused on the Lord's personal knowledge of him, that God knows him perfectly, personally. Take a look at verse 1 again. He says, Oh Lord, you have searched me. You've known me. You know, you know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path. <laughs> you know my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue. This is personal knowledge, right? This is how God perfectly knows me. This is how the Lord perfectly knows you. You are perfectly known. He knows your actions. In verse 2, he knows you're sitting down and you're rising up. So this would be like your, your public life. You're rising up. You're going out. He sees that. He knows that. But he also knows your sitting down. He knows your personal life. He knows you at home. He, he doesn't just know your Instagram self. He knows your real self. He knows everything about you. He knows your words. Verse 4, even before a, a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it all together. You know, think about the people you know really well. You know, and, and you kind of know what they're going to say. But even they surprise you sometimes. Sometimes they'll say something, and a lot of humor is that way, right? It's something shocking. It's something surprising that someone says. You're like, oh, that's funny. I didn't think they would say that. You know, but the Lord is never surprised by what you say. He knows your words before you say them. And it's not just because he's kind of watched you for a long time and kind of learned who you are. It's not because he's a good guesser. It's because, verse 2, he discerns your thoughts from afar. He gets you. He gets you better than you get yourself. And people go to counseling, people go to therapy for years to figure themselves out, right? But the Lord knows you now. In John Newton, the famous abolitionist and hymn writer, he, he said, I'm a riddle to myself. You know, do you ever feel that way? You don't even understand yourself. And as you get older, you start to understand more things about yourself. It's one of the benefits of age. You start to understand more of who you are and why you do what you do and, and, and understand your, your temptations and and your strengths, and your weaknesses. But the Lord knows you completely now. He knows all of your motivations, good or bad. He knows all the reasons for everything you do. He knows all your deceptions. 
your deceptions of other people, because we all do that to some degree, and your own deceptions of yourself, which are many, <laughs> it turns out. The Lord knows everything about you without investigation or surprise or misinterpretation. Now, let me ask you something about that. How do you feel about that? Seriously, how does that make you feel? How does it make you feel that the Lord knows every single thing about you? Well, it depends, right? Depends on how you feel about the Lord, right? It depends. And David seems a little bit ambivalent about it, even in this psalm, and I'll highlight some of that. But in the beginning, it's like, it's hard to tell, is you happy about this? You're not happy about this. Take a look at how verse 7 starts off. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and light will be as night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. At the beginning of the stanza, verse 7, it says, you know, David's saying, if I wanted to run from you, not saying I do, because who would do that? But if I wanted to, where would be the best place to hide from you? You know, he's like, just theoretically, of course, if somebody wanted to get away from this, and I'm not saying I do, I'm asking for a friend, what would be the best way to go about it? You know, there's a bit of ambivalence here. And so, you know, he says, well, not vertically. Verse 8, he says, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. The heaven one seems like an obvious one not to try. But he says, what about death? He says, nope, nope, you're there too. There's no hiding in death. There's no vertical escape. How about horizontal? He says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That phrase, wings of the morning, that's a really neat poetic way of speaking about dawn, the rays that come out of the dawning sun. Those are the wings of the morning. And so he's saying, if, if I were to run east, you're there. And then he says, you know, if I went to the sea, which from David's vantage point would be to the west, right? In Israel, the sea would be to the west. He says, you know, well, maybe if I ran to the sea, how well did that work for Jonah? Not well, right? The Lord is there too. And notice, guys, that he, David doesn't say that the Lord would follow him to those places. What does it say? He's already there. <laughs> He's already there. It's about his omnipresence. The Lord is not hindered from finding us geographically. And verses 11 through 12 say, He's not hindered by lighting. Surely the darkness shall cover me, and light shall be as night. Even darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. There's this human tendency to think that we can hide the practice of our sin at night, right? That somehow night covers it. It covers it from people often. You know, young kids, they think that they can hide from us just by covering their eyes. That suddenly they disappear. It takes kids a while to realize just because, you know, they can't see you doesn't mean you can't see them. And we look just as silly when we think that darkness hides our sin from the Lord. Verse 12, the night is bright as day and the darkness is as light with you. The Lord has perfect night vision, right? The Lord is everywhere. He, he always knows everything about us. He sees us always. He's always present with us. And let me ask you again, how does this make you feel? that the Lord sees and knows everything you do and say and think and that you can never escape from his presence. Is it good news? Is it bad news? It depends, right? It depends on what you think about God. You guys remember the old song by the police? Every breath you take, right? Let me read it for you. 
I'll be watching you. Every move you make, every step you take, I'll be watching you. Oh, can't you see? You belong to me. Romantic? Or time for a restraining order? Depends. Depends on how you feel about Sting, right? He was actually really disturbed that people thought that was a romantic song. He says, watch me in the music video. I'm not singing like it's a romantic song. Like, this is creepy. It's supposed to be creepy. And the song just took off. And he's like, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> like, you know. So, but Psalm 139, guys, is a good diagnostic test for how you feel about God. If you read Psalm 139, search your heart. Is it good news or bad news? You can call it the Psalm 139 test. Do you love the fact that God sees and knows you and is always with you? Are those truths sweet or are they smothering? Is it good news or bad news? The answer says a lot about your heart, about how you feel about God. Guys, everyone has a relationship with God. Not everyone has a good one, right? And this is a great test of that. Even David, I mentioned before, seems a lot of the commentators see some ambivalence about him, about this truth in the psalm. When he says in verse 5, you hem me in, behind and before you lay your hand upon me? Is that oppressive? Is that protection? Guys, Psalm 139 is bad news if you've been doing your best to avoid God and keep him out of your business, <laughs> right? I mean, if you've been doing your best to avoid God and keep him out of your business, Psalm 139 comes across as bad news. And if that's your life goal, like keeping God out of your business and avoiding him, good luck with that, right? That's like Hamlet trying to avoid Shakespeare and keep him out of his business, like, you live in God's world, <laughs> and that's what this psalm says. David's ambivalence, though, is beautifully altered through the psalm because by the end, he says, search me and know me. In verse 1, he says, you search me and know me, and at the end, he says, Lord, search me and know me. By the end of the psalm, David it makes very clear how happy he is to be searched and known by God. He invites it. Look at verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Guys, the gospel makes Psalm 139 very good news. It's very good news because the gospel tells us that in Christ, we're fully known, fully seen, and yet fully loved. Isn't that amazing? The gospel makes Psalm 139 really good news. The gospel is the good news that the Lord himself came as the true son of David, the one that David only prefigures, that the Father, through the Spirit, knit Jesus together in his mother's womb, verse 13, and the virgin womb of Mary, that the omnipresent God took on an address in a human body. We know that Jesus delighted in Psalms like this. He delighted in Psalm 139. He always invited God's all-knowing and all-seeing gaze. Um, Jesus delighted in it. Jesus was the only person who never had a thing to hide. In fact, the deeper that the Father looked into the heart and life of Jesus, the more and more reason the Father had to say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There's just layer after layer into Jesus. Every layer that he sees, every layer the father sees, the depths of his heart calls him to cry out more. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. As verse 16 said, that Jesus' whole life was written in God's book. In the Old Testament, we see his life prophesied ahead of time, including how his life would end on the cross for us and for our sins. And here's the cool thing, guys. On the cross, Jesus was searched with the all-seeing, all-knowing eye of God's justice. And do you know what was found? 
our sin. Our sin was found on him. In his pockets was found the evidence against us, right? All our sin was on Jesus. He paid for it all. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, but he was not abandoned in the grave. Jesus experienced, verse 8, if I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. Jesus dies. He's buried. God doesn't leave him in the grave. He raises him from the dead. The gospel, guys, is the good news that if you take hold of Jesus by faith, if you put your hope in him, if he becomes your savior, then you actually are united to him. As you believe in him, you become in him. You're combined with him. You're united with him. You're hemmed into him, as the psalm says. And you have all that he has. You have all of his righteousness. And you also have his sonship. If you're in Christ, you are God's beloved son or daughter in whom he's well pleased. And so that makes this seeing that God does in this knowing in his constant presence our comfort and our joy, right? It makes the whole psalm comfort and joy. It's something that David no longer had to run from but rejoice in. Because guys, think about it. Outside of Christ, without Christ, God's seeing and knowing is a real threat. (laughs) He's the judge after all, right? He sees everything. He's a judge with perfect knowledge of every part of you. And you know you. You know you're a sinner, right? But you don't know the half of it. He sees it all. He sees every bit of it. You know, you think, well, I know my own sin. I can see my own sin. You don't know hardly any of it. He sees all of it. And so outside of Christ, that's a huge threat, right? But in Christ, God's seeing and knowing is a blessing. Because we know in the gospel that he's never going to find something as he sees and knows you. He's never going to find something that will change his heart to you. He'll never get to a point where he's like, you know what, that's enough. I've had enough. I've had enough of your sin. I've had enough of your thoughts. I've had enough of your deeds and your words. I've had enough of your sinning against me, and I'm, I'm done. People will do that, right? God will never do that because we're in Christ. He knew what he was getting into, right, when he got involved with us. He's already seen all your sin, all of your future sin. He saw it at the cross. It's been paid for. It's been dealt with. And so God seeing and knowing everything is no longer a threat to us. Actually, what's really cool is, is that God seeing and knowing everything about us actually makes his love for us in the gospel even more meaningful. You know, Tim Keller put it this way, to be loved and not known is comforting, but superficial, right? You know, let me read it to you again. Some of you weren't awake. You're like, oh wait, he's talking? Yes. Here it goes. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial, right? It's like, oh, I really love you. And it's like, you don't really know me. That's nice, you know. But, you know, if you really got to know me, things might change, right? To be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. And then listen to this. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, right? For somebody to really know us and reject us is our greatest fear. Then he says this. But to be fully known and truly loved is what it's like to be loved by God. To be fully known and truly loved is what it's like to be known by God. That's what you have in Christ. That's a love that you don't try to run away from. That's somebody that that loves you like that, that you want close at hand at all times. And that's what you have in Psalm 139. And that love goes way back, okay? That love he has for you in Christ goes way back. Take a look at the third stanza here. It starts in verse 13. He talks about how we're not only known and seen, but he shaped us. Look at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you. 
It was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when, as yet, there was none of them. Just as the Lord formed the first human being, this passage tells us that he formed us personally. You know, when you look in Genesis 2 and you see God forming the first human being, it's a very personal act. And this says that your creation was no less personal. He was there in your mother's womb. This passage talks about how it was in the depths of the earth. Some people go like, what's that about? Obviously, he knows it's in the womb. He says it's in the womb. Depths of the earth just means it was in a secret. It was just you and God in there, unless you're a twin, you know. But it was just you and God in there, and he formed you very, very personally, right? Not in an automated factory, but like on a weaver's loom. He talks about weaving and knitting, right? It was done by hand with intense concentration, you know, as a weaver, you know, makes complex patterns with different colors and makes it real intricately. And King David here, he wrote this 3,000 years ago, and we know, we know a lot more now about how God weaves us together in my mother's womb, but it doesn't make it less amazing. It actually makes it more amazing. My favorite undergrad class was embryology, and I have an embryology slide for you here, which I know you were looking for at this moment. Um, but you guys realize that when that egg that became you was fertilized, you guys realize there were 100 million other sperm that lost the race that day. And I may be creating conversations for parents, which I think is good. But there were 100 million other sperm that lost the race that day. There were 100 million other genetic combinations that would not be you. Isn't that a trip? You had a 1 in 100 million chance of existing. Well done. Like, just something for that, right? But actually, guys, it was the Lord that chose that winning combination that day, right? Your genetic code that was laid down that day at that moment was chosen for you by God. And then the weaving begins. Okay, so you got fertilization, then you got the weaving begins. At first there's, there's one cell, and then there's two, and then there's four, and then there's 16, and then there's 32, and then there's 64, and you get the idea. These cells just start to grow, right? And in the beginning, those cells can become anything, which is really trippy. Any of those cells can become any part of your body, but then they start to sort out into three different germ layers. There's ectoderm and endoderm and mesoderm, okay? And that's what this is all about. So here's the three cell types. So you got like just cells, and then they settle out in some layers. And then these three types of cells very early become these different lists of things. So like ectoderm becomes like a part of your skin and your nervous system and your brain and your pituitary gland, right? This is from the very beginning. These cells know they're going to do that. And the mesoderm becomes another part of your skin, but also your muscle and your heart and your kidneys. You got endoderm cells and they become your liver and your gallbladder and your GI tract. It's trippy, huh? And then through a complex system of gene expression and chemical signals and then tissue folding, they actually become the different parts of your body. He formed your inward parts. It's trippy. So like some of that endoderm, it rolls into a tube and that becomes your whole GI tract. Isn't that weird? Cells all kind of learn what to do, the kind of stomach, intestines, and other parts, right? And then the ectoderm, it rolls into a tube that becomes your spinal cord, and then there's like a little bulgy part at the end that kind of rolls up because of your brain. That trip? And then the mesoderm, it's like makes these two little parallel blood vessels that eventually fuse together, and then they like knot up in a ball and make four chambers and become your heart. I know. 
It's amazing. And it's amazing even down to like cell death. So certain cells have to die in this process. Like your eyelids were originally all the way across your cornea, but they had to die in a little straight line. The cells had to die it's for your eyes to open. And that happened. Such a trip. Right? So verse 13 says, You have formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully because it's astonishing, right, what happened. And now you know that there's a hundred million combinations that would not be you, at least. And the whole knitting process is so mind-boggling. I mean, that you have a bunch of cells that can become anything, and then somehow they decide to sort out, like, hey, let's divide up into three teams, you know, and become different parts, and all the signaling that has to happen there. It's just incredible. And the more you know about it, it makes it more incredible, you know, and how perfectly everything had to go for you to even be here. It's astonishing. It's, and he says it's wonderful because it's something that only God could do. And all the while, he isn't just planning your body, right? He's shaping the kind of mind and the kind of personality, the kind of soul you're going to be. Not just your body, your mind. What kind, of, what kind of soul are you? Think about what kind of soul you are. You may not even know fully what kind of soul you are. And he crafted that. He decided that in the womb. And the Lord is not only designing your body and your mind and your soul, but he was crafting your whole life. Take a look at verse 16. In your book, in the Lord's book, were written every one of them the days that were formed for me. So like as much as he formed your body and your personality and your mind, he formed every one of your days. Yeah. You know, and he was thinking as he's weaving you together, he's thinking about every event of your life down to how he would draw you here this morning to this place to hear about the amazing love of Jesus for you. It's amazing, isn't it? So contrary to what you've been taught in our culture, guys, you are not an accident. You are not a number. You are not mass-produced. You are not a result of blind cellular automation. You are a special creation of God. The value that God places on you is enormous. I mean, even in the womb, even as an embryo. Imagine the attention we're talking about. You know, he says here that there were innumerable thoughts toward me. He goes, how precious are your thoughts toward me, O God? How vast is the sum of them? If I would count them, they are more than the sand. You know, like, why are you so preoccupied with me, with us, with each of you? God is preoccupied with you since the very beginning. What's this obsession about? And the reason for this obsession is that he wasn't just making another creature. He was handcrafting his child. <laughs> he was handcrafting you to be his child. Isn't that amazing? And guys, this love that he has for you and this care he has for you actually goes back further back than conception. Take a look at Ephesians 1. It's really worth the look in there. This passage could melt your face off. Okay, so also mind your face. But turn to Ephesians 1. I want to just show you how, so we, we talked about conception and him weaving you in your mother's womb. Okay, and then you go like, it's further back. Okay, how far back? Well, we'll see. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying blessings to God the Father. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4 even as he, the Father, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. That's further back. 
right? Before the foundation of the world, he had thoughts toward you. And I think this is really important to clear this up. Jesus didn't come to die on the cross and be raised from the dead so that the Father would love you. Sometimes people think that way. Jesus came to die on the cross and be resurrected because the Father already loved you, right? John 3.16, let's not forget. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. It's the love of the Father that sent Jesus into the world. This was the Father's idea from the beginning. You know, if you're in Christ, if you're united to Christ today, we can extrapolate back and know that the Father has actually always loved you from eternity past. Yeah, you know where you get that from? The passage I just read, right? From eternity past. Before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 says, he loved you and predestined you to one day adopt you as one of his kids. So I'll just tell you about this. I feel super secure about this. Like the gospel. I feel like because of how far back it goes and it didn't have anything to do with me back then and God's in all this. I feel super secure in this. There is no way I can mess this up right? I didn't start this, and so I can't mess it up. This is the sovereign grace of God, guys, from before the foundation of the world. For you, if you're in Christ, you can, you can go, what, how do I know? If you're in Christ, that all applies to you, according to Ephesians 1. And I just want to say this to you, too. Like, think about how good this news is to our culture. Guys, our culture is so obsessed with identity and belonging, you know, our culture is so obsessed with and desperate to feel special and seen and belong. Think of how amazing this news is to our culture. And we try to belong through, you know, sexual or political identities or online attention seeking. There's just this like constant cry in our culture, see me, you know, accept me, receive me. I need to belong. I need to, I need to be seen. I need to be uh, affirmed. I need, to, I need to feel special. Like, you can hear the cry, right? You hear the cry in yourself that you desire that. Guys, in the gospel, we offer an identity of being chosen before the time, before the foundation of the world, to be the beloved child of the creator of the universe. Talk about feeling special and seen and belonging. I mean, I don't know what else you're looking for, right? You know, or we could look for it in sex and politics and praise of others and possessions. Which to choose? You know? It's amazing, right? So how should we respond to this? How should we respond to Psalm 139? I see three ways. I'm going to be really quick. The three ways I see that we should respond to this are wonder, loyalty, and love. First, wonder. This is all amazing, right? Like everything I just told you is just crazy amazing. That we are in Christ, that we're fully known, we're fully loved, that God has set his love on us conception, but even before that, before the foundation of the world. And he says in verse 6, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, I cannot detain it is too high. <laughs> or verse 17, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God, how vast are the sum of them. He's like, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say about love like that. We should respond in wonder. We should respond in loyalty. And that's verse 19. This is the part that made you cringe when Dan was reading. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred, and I count them as my enemies. And you're like, okay. That escalated quickly. 
you know, you just had the verse that was like on your inspirational calendar or on your coffee mug or something. And then you read this and you were like, wait, did something get, you know, stuck together, didn't belong together? I don't know what's going on. And it kind of bothered me in the beginning, but now I kind of love it. What's going on here? Notice that David isn't responding to personal attacks here. David is responding to attacks on God. Take a look at it. They speak against you, speaking to God. Your enemies take your name in vain. Those who hate you, those who rise up against you. David is not, this is not about self-defense. This is about fierce loyalty to God, right? it's, It's David's heart to defend the one he loves most, the Lord. God's enemies are his enemies. And remember too, and this is very significant for this passage, that David is in the office of the king of Israel. Part of his office as king is to execute vengeance, okay? He's speaking professionally here, okay? You are not an Old Testament king of Israel, so it is not your role to execute vengeance. But guys, David's fierce loyalty here is something we should totally appreciate, right? It's a natural response when you love someone. Let me ask you this. How do you respond when somebody attacks your best friend? How do you respond when someone attacks your spouse or your kids or your mama? How do you respond? You're not like dispassionate about that. It's like, well, that's fine, you know, right? No, there's a fierce loyalty because you love them. That's what we have here. God's love for David makes David loyal to God. John Calvin said, even a dog barks when his master is attacked, right? We're not coldly neutral when people attack the Lord, right? Now, this doesn't lead us on some sort of holy war to, you know, get the infidels or something like that. Jesus taught us what to do with that loyalty. He taught us to love his enemies, do good to them, share the gospel with them, give them an opportunity to be reconciled to him. But guys, we're not coldly neutral when people attack the Lord. You know, when they attack the Lord, we feel it. Like, how can they treat our Lord like that? Why would you treat Jesus like that? And so we respond with wonder, loyalty, and lastly, love. And I love this. Because you go like, okay, that, that, there's that strong passage of his loyalty. And then immediately he says this. So let me, let me read it the way it goes because it's, it's really kind of interesting. So he says, I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. So you hear that loyalty, right? And then he says, search me and know me, O God, and know my heart. And try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's kind of interesting where he's seeing the sins of people out there and their attacks on the Lord. And then what does he do? He says, search me. You know, know me. Show me if there's any grievous way in me. Right? What's going on here? The sins of others made David examine his own heart. Isn't that cool? He saw sins of others and he went, what about me? Do I have any of that in me? Guys, we live in an age of outrage. Much of what passes for news is outrage porn. That's what it is. You want to get outraged? You get yourself some outrage porn, right? That's what much of the news is. We live in an age of outrage. Notice that this outrage that he has, it boomerangs back at him in self-examination. I think we can learn from that. I think we can learn that when we see the sins in the culture, we think, how much of that is in me? Because I'm a part of this culture too right? I've taken in a lot of these mindsets as well, because guys, Jesus's worst traitors aren't out there. They're in here, right? They're in here. It's the Peters that are most disturbing, not the Pilots. You expect that from Pilate, but not from Peter. And so I think the important thing here is that, is that we, should, we should examine ourselves, because he's loved us so much, guys. We should give our whole lives back to him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
not to gain his love, but because we already have his love and we want to love him back. And so we, we ask him, because he knows us and he can see us, we ask him to share what he's seen. Take a look at verse 23 again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Such a cool prayer. It's such a prayer that we should use often, guys. And we should use it often because we are not fit examiners of our own hearts. Okay? And that can go two ways, you know? In the one way, you can believe all your own deceptions, right? But the other way is, and some of you guys are this way, and you know who you are, you tend to morbid introspection, (laughs) you know, because you're doing self-examination without the help of the Holy Spirit. And we need to ask him to search our hearts. Otherwise, we could tend to one or the other. It's such a great prayer. And guys, only the gospel frees us to pray this because we know that in Christ, whatever he finds, he's both forgiven and he's going to free us from, right? He has complete knowledge of us and it's a gift. It's a gift as a surgeon is a gift in finding and removing anything he finds. And then he says here, beautifully, lead me in the way everlasting. Isn't God good? Isn't he good? He knows you. He sees you. He's formed you. He's loved you way, way back. And so we should give him that wonder and loyalty and love that he's due. Amen? Let's pray. Father, what shall we say to these things? If you're for us, who can be against us? If you did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, how will you not also with him graciously give us all things? Father, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Is it not you who justify? Who can condemn us? Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that, the one who is raised, who is now at your right hand, even interceding for us at this moment. This is a salvation that you accomplished from beginning to end. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's not going to be tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or danger or sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors because you love us. We're sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, powers or heights or depth or anything in creation can separate us from your love that we have in Jesus Christ. And I just pray for the Lord for those who are here that have not known the joy and comfort of that, of those words, that you would even now draw them to yourself, that they would see their sin and just reach out that empty hand of faith to say, I want that. I want that for, for me. I want Jesus. We pray that you'd embolden many to do that today. That even during our time of communion, our time of worship, that they would trust in your son Jesus and find the amazing comfort and joy and peace of being in him, connected for all time to him. Father, we pray as we take the Lord's Supper, as we take communion, Lord, we pray that you would feed us, Lord. Even as you fed us in your word, we pray that you'd feed us from your table. We pray, Lord, as we worship you and as we stay around and enjoy one another's company and use our gifts to encourage the body, Lord, we pray that you would just continue to make yourself present here in us. We thank you for the beautiful simplicity of your church that we we gather, we sing, we pray, we read your word, we take the supper and we love one another and 
It's simple. It's beautiful. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.